0: I encourage you to uh, follow up on the connections maybe you just made after the service. Uh, great opportunity to, to connect with people, follow up, encourage each other. Um, so, if you're new here this morning, welcome. I'm Michael McKittrick, a church plant resident here. And this morning, we're continuing in a seven week uh, series on vision. We're, we're really looking at um, these three kind of uh, paintings on the wall Gospel, Community, Mission. Uh, To think about who we are as a church and what we're all about, because it's so easy to drift from our identity. So, we spent the last two weeks talking about the gospel. The good news that since God is a holy God and we are an imperfect, sinful people, that we deserve judgment, and yet Christ came died for us in our place, was risen again, so those who trust in him don't have to face God's judgment. That's, that's good news. And yet we also looked last week at how that good news gives us a new identity that motivates how we live in an ongoing basis, right? And so we've, we spent the last two weeks talking about gospel, and now we're going to spend two weeks talking about community. Community is something we, we all long for, right? No one was made to be alone. I don't care how introverted you are, at some point, you actually do want to be around people, right? If there was no one at all in the world, eventually, and it might take some of you 20 years, but eventually you would get there and you would want someone to be around, right? We were not made to be alone, right? We all know that. Uh, this is true of general life, but very much so of the Christian life. But community is not just a bunch of people together, but it's people together gathered around something. So you can go on meetup.com and find all sorts of communities. You can find communities based around card games and board games and exercising, or you've got your community that's connected around work or school, right? You're you're gathered around something, and that something tends to shape your communal life. So what is the Christian community gathered around? What are we shaped by? Well, biblically, the answer is the gospel. That's why we spent two weeks looking at it. So this morning, we're going to think about, well, how does the gospel actually shape our community, though? Because we can say it, but we want to actually live that out. We want a gospel-shaped community culture. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. The words will also be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to look at is how the gospel creates or shapes community. And I want us to just see basically four things this morning from the text that community is created through the gospel, that community is maintained by living a gospel-shaped life, that community is equipped through the gospel, and community is built up by speaking the gospel to one another. So community is created, maintained, equipped, and built up in and through the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I just encourage you, if you uh, have been here for a while, or a Vine member, a regular attender, obviously lean in hear this, and then ask God, how can you help me grow into this in an increasing way? If you're new, either to the Vine Church, or maybe new to Christianity, or still exploring, hopefully this morning you'll listen in and maybe hear something that makes you say, I want to be part of that kind of community. That's our hope this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll begin reading God's Word. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who has not left us alone but you have come near to us in Jesus, and you have spoken to us through your word, the Bible. And so since you have been a God of such love, would you open our hearts to actually receive from you this morning? Would you help us by your Holy Spirit to see what you want us to see? Would you help me, weak as I am, to speak your words so all of us are built up into Jesus? Pray this in your name, amen. Let me read Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. This is Paul speaking. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, So first we want to look how community is created through the gospel. You know, Paul in verse 1 right away signals that he's talking to community when he says, I urge you, and that you is actually a plural you. We just got to get y'alls in our Bible um, just to help us see it because we're so individualistic. Um, He's not saying you and you and you. He's saying you, you vine family. I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He wants us to live in a certain way that reflects what we've been called to. He's saying, look, there's something that drew you together. There's something that called you into being. There's something you share in common, and I want you to live in light of that. So what is that thing that drew us together? What's that shared characteristics, the shared um, values that bring us together? Well, he lays it out in verses four to six. You see again that word is just as you were called, and he lays out what we were called to. He says seven things. He says you were called to, to one hope, and one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father over all, and one body, and one spirit. These are all the things that you're called to if you've trusted in Christ. This is what, what draws and creates Christian community, right? And this is really kind of a short form of things he's been saying, really, in chapters 1 through 3, and really chapters 1 and 2 specifically. This, this idea that, that if you've trusted in Christ, it's because you have your hope in Christ, As he says in chapter 1, you hope in him who will unite and redeem and renew all things one day. And that points us to our one Lord. It's Jesus. He's the one we submit our lives to that say, you get to call the shots, not me anymore, because I'm not Lord, you are. And that that helps us see our one faith. We, We believe in him. We've trusted in Jesus, Paul says, for the forgiveness of our sins. And when you trust in him, when you have faith in him, you get baptized in him. It's it's a symbol that shows your your unity, your connection to Jesus. And you're baptized, you're joined into one body. That's one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church. A body organically connected together. And that body is given the one Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives all of us access to the one Father, he says in chapter 2. That's what draws you together. Really, it's Paul in a very short way sharing the gospel, right? He's sharing that you have hoped in Jesus, that you have submitted to his lordship. You've trusted in him for salvation. You've been baptized into his family. You've been given his spirit so you're actually part of the family that can call God father and not just judge. That's the gospel. That's what makes community. And it's so important for us to see this because our tendency is to think we need to manufacture community ourselves instead of resting what God has done. I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a a pastor in the 30s and 40s in Germany. He wrote, Christian brotherhood or, or community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. We're not making this happen. We just get to participate in what God's Already done and is doing. And yet, how often do we sometimes practically approach Christian community this way? I wonder if the people there will be like me. I wonder if they'll be the same demographic. I wonder if they'll be the same age group. I wonder if they'll be the same marital status, the same gender, the same ethnicity, have the same hobbies, because that's how we connect, or that's what we think. And so we look for these things. And uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this scene from a movie that I would not recommend watching, so I won't give its name, but there's this great scene. It's a comedy, um, and it takes place in first century Israel, and these Jews have gathered together to talk about why they want to get rid of the Romans. And they go, what have the Romans ever done for us? Nothing. One guy in the back says, well, they did build the aqueducts. Well, other than the aqueducts, what have they done for us? Nothing. And the guy says, well, they, they did build the roads. Well, other than the aqueducts and the roads, what have they done? Nothing. And they they start adding to this list. And by the end of the list, it's like 35 things long, right? And they're like, what have they done for us? Nothing. And they get all charged up to go take them out, right? But sometimes we approach Christian community that way, right? We're like, I don't know if we've got anything in common. Well, what about the one hope? Well, other than the one hope, we have nothing in common, well, well, what about the one one Lord? Well, other than the one hope and the one Lord, I'm not sure if we have anything in common. Well, what about the, the one hope and the one Lord and the one faith and the one baptism and the one body and the one spirit and the one God and Father overall? Yeah, other than that, we have nothing in common. I get it. It's hard to connect when you have nothing in common, right? I mean, that is hard. But isn't that what we sometimes do? Like We, we come and we're looking for all these things and if they're not there, our tendency is to say, I don't know if this is home. I don't know if I can connect. I don't know if I can go deep because there's not this community here. Why? Because we're so often basing community based off our feelings, what we feel about the relationships instead of saying, I'm going to look to what God says about this relationship and trust him in it, right? So we we come in and we say, well, I'm looking for this experience and maybe you even tasted an experience where you've been super connected And that's good, praise God. But community isn't always like that. Sometimes it doesn't feel as connected as you'd like to be. And yet, do we say, Christian community is grounded in what Jesus has done, not in how I feel about it. Is that our attitude towards community? So as you think maybe about city group, and plug into our small group structure we call city groups, are you coming and saying, I just don't know if, I can open up or share. I don't know if I can really connect with people because I'm just not sure if there's enough in connection. Maybe, maybe if we have a ton more time, a ton more experience, maybe if I find out we have all these other things in common, then we could connect. Well, what, what does that reveal? I think it reveals that we're looking to other things primarily to build our community. And it's not that time together experiences are bad, but anyone can build community just spending time together. What makes our community distinctively Christian? distinctively different. It's the gospel. That's what draws us together. I, uh, I'm not a big science guy, but I did teach chemistry last year, and what I learned is that in chemistry, to get a chemical reaction, to get things to bond together, say, you need a certain amount of energy to do that, right? So you can imagine, like, hydrogen and oxygen don't just combine randomly, but if you give it some energy, it can combine to form water. I'm not a scientist, but anyways, that's, that's what they say, okay? So you need energy, And so there's, you can think about time and experience as enough energy to connect you, but then there's something in chemistry called catalysts. You can introduce something that lowers the energy barrier to make the reaction happen. And the gospel is a catalyst for community. The gospel is what allows you to go deeper, quicker, and connect more deeply because you already have been connected. That's how the gospel is meant to function. So you can connect with people because you actually already share the most important things in common. You've got the same hope you've got the same lord you've got the same faith you've got the same holy spirit dwelling in you that's what connects you and and you know in the gospel that the gospel pronounces all of us guilty sinners so i don't have to hide that i'm a sinner we already know that but the gospel also says that because of Jesus' perfect life i'm counted as perfect if i've trusted in him and so are you so i don't have to prove anything or pretend or hide or fear The gospel allows us to actually connect and to connect with people different than us. So people look at our community and say, well, you guys must be connected around something special because these people normally don't connect together. So you can have an older couple that's not tech-savvy connect with an epic single, right? Because you've got something together that's bigger than whether you connect over technology and whether you can speak the epic lingo, which is a whole other language, right? Um, You can connect around the gospel, Right? So do we believe that God's brought us together? The thing is, community won't always feel magical. It won't always feel great. It's sometimes harder, initially, feelings-wise, than connecting around hobbies or other interests. Sometimes it's risky, because you might get hurt or burned by people. And yet, God says there's goodness in connecting through Christ in the gospel. For some of you who have been burned or hurt, I just want you to know from up front as leaders, We get that sometimes there's a process. Sometimes it takes time to heal and work through that. But we just want to encourage you, lean in as much as you can and more by the gospel to community. Because that's where a community is found in the gospel, not in other factors that we so often run to. Now, a community created by the gospel also needs to be maintained by gospel-shaped life. Because the reality is, it's not a perfect community. It's a little messed up. I'm imperfect, and I'm in the community, and you're imperfect. We might hurt each other, sin against each other. So that's why Paul says, again, in verses 1 to 3, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, we're going to need to be humble and gentle if we're going to be able to put other people before ourselves in community. But we do it because God humbled himself in Jesus for us. Humbled himself, and came and lived our life. Emptied himself, says Philippians 2. And we can be gentle with one another because God's been gentle with us. And, and when people kind of get on our nerves, we're called to be patient and bear with them. Because maybe they're too talkative or not talkative enough. Or maybe they got these weird quirks or just whatever, right? They're people are people. Sometimes they rub on us the wrong way. And so Paul says, you've got to be patient. You've got to bear with Why? Well, because Jesus was patient with you. He's born with you. And so that's the kind of life you need to live in order to keep this family together. Because you can imagine with me a family. I'd say a mom and dad, a couple of kids. The mom and dad stop speaking to each other. They move into separate homes. The kids are upset with each other, with the parents. They move to different parts of the country. At the end of the day, they're still family. You can't change that. And yet, they're not living in the unity of the family. They're not eager to maintain that family connection. And Paul's saying the same thing here, like, you are one in Christ, period. But, verse 3, we need to be eager to maintain that unity, because stuff can come up to divide us. So you've got to work at it. You've got to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with so that we can stay united. We need to have gospel-shaped lives if we're ever going to live it together with imperfect people. And Scott's going to talk more about what it means to love and serve and welcome one another next week, so I'm not going to hit it too much here. But just to say, it's so important that the gospel we believe shapes how we live in community. And so don't throw out the actual community because it doesn't live up to the vision of what community is. We need to learn to love the community as it is, right? Now, a community that is created by the gospel and maintained this way is also beautifully a community third that's equipped through the gospel. There's a shift at verse 7. He's all about one, one, one. at verse 7, Paul kind of changes gears and says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he was talking about all we had in common. Now he's kind of shifting gears and saying, but we've been given different graces, different gifts for the sake of equipping and building up the body. And then in verse 8, he quotes an Old Testament passage to prove his point. He says, therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then he has this parenthetical comment, verses 9 and 10. And maybe when you first heard it, you thought, verses 1 to 6, makes sense, all about community. You know, the later verses, yep, get it. This middle section, what is going on here? Like, Paul just threw a wrench into this nice, beautiful passage. This is weird, right? Uh, But actually, there's something really beautiful here. Because what Paul is doing is he's quoting Psalm 68. as a psalm written by David talking about this idea of God, the victorious king, coming up to Jerusalem in the ark being brought there. And the picture is one that maybe you've seen in the movie like Gladiator, where when the emperor returns from battles, he's there in the chariots, the crowds are cheering, and he comes into the city, and he comes up, maybe the steps, sits down in his throne in the palace. There's captives from the war kind of brought up to pay homage to him and give him gifts. And then he would turn around and give gifts to his supporters, to his people. And that's what what Paul's getting here, is when God ascended on high, he's got this host of captives, um, spiritual forces he's defeated, but now he turns around and gives gifts to his people. He does that because he's the victorious king. And he's emphasizing, like David, when David brought the ark in, that David was the king that didn't just receive, but he chose to give gifts because he's a generous king. And so Paul goes on to explain it in Jesus' life in verse 9, because he says, when he ascended, well, that means he first had to be lower down, so that means he descended. And that's just short form for saying, Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived amongst us, and it was even lower by dying and being buried in the grave. He did that for us. But then verse 10, he who descended is the one who has ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is talking about Jesus' resurrection, resurrection. And then his ascension to sit at the right hand of God in heaven. And Paul's saying, look, Jesus is the victorious king. He came down, he fought sin and Satan, and he's won. He's resurrected, he's victorious. And because he's the victorious king, he now gives gifts. He equips his body. And all the gifts that we have, they were purchased to you through the gospel. They were given to you because of what Christ did. So it's a community that's equipped through the gospel. And now we need to use those gifts to build up the community. So look at verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he talks about these key gifts. Now he talks about other gifts elsewhere too. But here he zones on these couple of gifts. You know, apostles and prophets were uh, the people that basically were used by God to write essentially the Old and New Testaments. And they are described as a foundation to the church in Ephesians chapter 2. And then this ongoing role is given to these evangelists, these pastors, these teachers. And all of them, if you notice, are all about the gospel, right? Evangelists are those people that are gifted to share the gospel. Pastors are those who counsel the, the flock and care for them in the gospel. Teachers are those who teach the gospel. It's all about God's word. It's all about the gospel, these gifts, right? And what's really amazing and my favorite thing is in verse 12. Because he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul's saying, look, God God didn't just give these gifts so you could sit back and benefit. He gave them to you so you could get in the game, so you could be equipped. It's not like there's some evangelist in the church and they do all the evangelism. No, God gave people with particular evangelistic gifts to equip and train all of us to become evangelists. He gave pastors to the church so that all of us could be equipped to pastor one another. He gave teachers to the church so that they could teach everyone to teach one another the gospel. And that's how the body gets built up, says Paul. It's a team sport. I love how Tim Chester puts it, a pastor in England, he says this. We need to recapture the sense That gospel ministry is not something done by pastors with the support of ordinary Christians, but something done by ordinary Christians with the support of pastors. It's all of us that are involved, every single one of us that have trusted in Jesus. See, Christianity is not like basketball. basketball, right? I mean, if you have LeBron James on your team, I could be a player on the team, and we could still win games, okay? And I'm terrible at basketball, right? Because you just give the ball to LeBron, and he's going to put up like 40 points, right? Like, you just need one or two good players, the rest can be mediocre, and you can win. Ministry's not like that. The Christian life is not about having a LeBron up front carrying everybody else. The Christian life is more like football, where every player needs to be involved in every play, where if the offensive lineman goes, man, no one ever talks about how awesome offensive linemen are, so I can just you know, just sit back on this play. I'm not going to bother blocking. I don't care if Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. If you have no offensive line blocking, you don't get any forward progress. You can't win as a team with no offensive line blocking. Every player is needed, and that's what the Christian life's about. So is that how you view Christian community. If someone was to ask you, what is church? Is your answer, oh, it's this service that I go to, and I sit, I sing a little bit, somebody else does most of the talking and serving, and then I go home. Or is church this thing you gather once a week at, and maybe you make one comment or two in the night, but someone else does most of the teaching and serving? Or is church all of us using our gifts to help all of us grow up to love Jesus more? And sometimes it gets used on Sunday morning, and sometimes in Citigroup, and sometimes just throughout the week as you run into people, but all of us are using our gifts to help each other grow. And it's so important to catch this vision because there are two possible outcomes, Paul says. If we're using our gifts well, then in verse 13, he says this. He says, Then we will all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's saying, look, if we use our gifts and build each other up, we grow mature, we grow up to be like Jesus. If we don't use the gifts, we're going to be like ignorant children tossed to and fro. We're not going to grow healthy. We're just going to stay like little kids, always dependent, always kind of being torn about by every wind of doctrine. So we need to use our gifts. And so the answer is, again, all of us at work. Verses 15 and 16, look. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a little bit of an awkward-sounding sentence, but I hope you heard the every, right? When every joint is at work, when each part of the body. The picture is you can't have a body that functions healthily if some random part's like, well, I'm just the kidney. I'm just gonna stop working, right? It doesn't work. Every part has to be at work. And what every part is doing is speaking the truth in love. We're all called to speak the truth in love so that we grow up into Jesus. So we grow to be more like Jesus together. Now, what does the truth in love mean? Speaking that truth in love. Um, I don't think it means you go to someone in your city group and you're like, hey brother, I just want you to know, you're really annoying, but I'm just speaking the truth because I love you, and I mean just, just want you to know, like that's not speaking the truth in love, right? Um, partly because that doesn't help them grow up into loving Jesus more, or growing to be more like Jesus right now. Hopefully we all know that. But What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, context is so helpful. If you kept reading in verse Ephesians 4, you'd read in verse 21 these words. Assuming you've heard about him, that's Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Or earlier in chapter 1, you hear this. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So what's the truth we're called to speak in love? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's what you've learned about Jesus and what he's done. You speak that in love, and the body gets built up. Uh, we're a society that's been learning a lot more about how food affects us, right? So we think a lot about well, what food do we even feed the animals we eat, because that affects us, right? You eat a lot, a high-sodium diet. You could get blood pressure issues, et cetera. Well, Paul's saying the same thing spiritually. You've got to watch what you eat, what you feed each other, if you want to grow up healthy. So if you feed each other just a bunch of rules, you'll produce a rule keeper. If you just feed each other pragmatic advice, you'll create pragmatists. If you feed each other the line, just follow your heart, you'll create selfish people. So if you want people to grow up into Jesus, what you need to do is feed them Jesus, says Paul. You speak the truth that is Jesus in love, so they grow up into Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And Paul models the speaking, the truth, and love for us. So look at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. When he's trying to call people away from lying and falsehood, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, here's why, remembers one of, one of another. How can you lie to one another when Jesus paid the price to make you one family? See that gospel spoken into there? Or with anger, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's because God has treated you this way that you live this way. See how he's motivating with the gospel? He's speaking the gospel in love to build up the Ephesian church. He's modeling this for us. So when you gather with believers, When you're chatting with people, is that a category in your mind? As they come to you and share, that you're saying, how can I listen and pray for them and pray that God will help me see how the gospel speaks into their life? How who Jesus is and what he's done shapes and changes them. So every time you're hanging out at a park with someone, grabbing lunch or coffee, meeting at Citigroup, that category is in your brain. How can we speak the gospel to one another to build each other up? And maybe the application right there is, man, I need to grow in learning about the gospel myself so I can know how to share it with people. Maybe that's your application. And since sometimes this can be a little abstract, I thought I would do just a quick, like, uh, kind of almost role play of, like, what does it look, to, look like to speak the gospel to someone? And this is obviously a really shortened version because I don't want to keep you here for half an hour longer, right? A short version. But hopefully you just hear about this idea of, what does it look like to slow down, listen, ask questions and address someone's heart with the gospel. So imagine I'm chatting with, with a friend and they come to me and say, hey Michael, I'm really struggling with uh, my brother-in-law because he, he really treats my, my sister poorly and I just, I really don't like that. I might go like, man, that sounds really tough. Like, that sounds like it probably causes a lot of problems in the family. You go, yeah, it, it really does. Like, I'm just really, really frustrated and really worried about Thanksgiving because I just... Every time he speaks disrespectfully to my sister, I just get angry, and I, it's just I just don't know how I'm going to handle Thanksgiving. I might say, well, like man, that that is really tough. Like, how how do you try to respond in the moment when that comes up? He goes, well, honestly, in the past, I just kind of get angry, and sometimes I've yelled at him. He's been kind of cutting off relationship with me, and I've been doing the same. So, what do you think it would look like to try to love him this Thanksgiving? At You know what, I don't even think I can. Not unless I see some change in him first. Well, can I ask a question? Where would you be if God said he would only have loved you if you had changed first? And right there in that moment, you've just allowed them to think about the gospel. And how the gospel maybe reminds them that they'd be in hell. Apart from God loving them first. And that might just reorient their hearts to realize that maybe before the brother-in-law needs to change, their own heart needs to change. And they grow up to be more like Christ. And if we have a community that's doing that and growing together in those ways, that is gonna be a beautiful thing. That's what Paul's inviting us into. So is not gonna be perfect. We're not gonna nail this. But thankfully, God's gracious with us, and let's be gracious with one another. But can I just encourage us as a Vine family, since God created this community in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, lean into community more than what feels natural. And since God has equipped us through the gospel, let's grow in the gospel so we can speak it to one another, so we can be built up to be more like Christ for our good, the glory of God, but also so a watching world can take notice and see something different is at the center of our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are so gracious to us. That when we were far from you, you came looking for us. And so I pray first and foremost that every person here would trust in what Jesus has done for them as their only hope, that they would submit themselves to Jesus as Lord because he's the only one worth following. Would you just start with us there? And then would you help us to lean into community together, even when it's hard to lean in by grace? And would you grow us in our understanding and knowledge of Christ and the gospel so we can speak it into one another's lives and be built up? I pray this in your name.